Hey, good morning, New Life Church. I am so glad to be with you this beautiful September morning. Before we get started, let me just give a shout out to our interns who did a phenomenal job delivering the Word of God over the month of August. We started with Kyler, who took a real risk and felt the Lord telling her to teach on the subject of test me in the area of tithing. And I got to tell you, of all the subjects that you, if you get to choose any subject to preach on, that's probably the least favorite of everybody, but she felt God do it and she delivered well. We're so proud of her. And then Tasha spoke a phenomenal message. No, now God wants us to move now and to be willing to be used now. And then Veronica spoke a, 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 the subject of Samson and in God. God loves you anyway. And then David gave a, delivered a great message on the subject of pride and dealing with our pride, which we all struggle with from time to time. And then of course, Carlos, what path are you choosing? Phenomenal messages, great job, very anointed of God. If you didn't hear all of them, go back and watch them on our website, newlifeca.church and dial into them because I'm telling you, you're gonna be blessed. Also, I wanna take just a moment this morning and I wanna pray with you as we begin this gathering. Our executive pastor and Lathrop Campus pastor, uh, Pastor Trinity, uh, and her husband, who is our campus operations pastor and our online campus pastor, uh, Brian, Pastor Brian, uh, they're gonna have their third child scheduled for this week. Now, we filmed this in advance, so who knows? They might have already had the baby by the time this is broadcast on Sunday, but if not, we wanna pray for them that God will give them a healthy and a safe delivery. And uh, these are the folks that serve us and have served us for a decade. So would you just bow your hearts and your heads with me and let's pray for them right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray for Trinity. We pray for Brian. We ask God that you'd grace them and bless them with supernatural strength. We pray for a healthy delivery for mama and we pray for a healthy delivery for baby. We look forward to meeting in person Zaley Bold Nielsen as she comes into this world very, very soon. So Lord, we ask that your blessing would rest upon them, that your favor would rest upon them. You'd be with the medical staff. You'd be in the entire process. No complications. We declare it, and we declare health and safety in Jesus' name, amen, and amen, and amen. Praise the Lord. Well, today we are beginning a brand new message series, and I realize some of you are like, wait a minute, I thought you were going to conclude the series you started in the summer and, uh, and bring it back around again. I'm going to conclude that uh, in a few weeks, but I want to start a new message series today that is just burning in my heart and has been for some time, as we are going to go through a, a peculiar book in the Bible called Habakkuk. Habakkuk. Everybody say Habakkuk. If you just said Habakkuk, it's kind of crazy because you're sitting in your home by yourself. But Habakkuk, it kind of sounds like you cough up a, a furball. Habakkuk, doesn't it? We're going to talk about Habakkuk in a series that I'm entitled Hope Over Darkness. Hope Over Darkness. Hope Over Darkness. Believing God is good when life sucks. And I know you know what I'm talking about. We're a church that's real, relevant, relational. Sometimes life just sucks. Everybody everybody understands. Let, let me give you a little context. Habakkuk is an Old Testament minor prophet. He lived and wrote this book, the book of Habakkuk, three chapters. He lived and wrote it about 600 years before the birth of Jesus. He was a different kind of a, a prophet. What do prophets do? What, what, what's the job of a prophet? Well, a prophet typically speaks to people on behalf of God, but, but not Habakkuk. He was not an ordinary prophet. He did not speak to people on behalf of God, but instead Habakkuk spoke to God on behalf of the people. Why? Because he did not like what God was doing. He spoke to God on behalf of the people 
because he wasn't happy with the way that God was performing. Now, can you see the problem with that? This will be a very interesting journey that we're gonna take over the next few weeks. A little more context. Um, Habakkuk is living in a nation that had been extremely blessed. Now, I think we can identify some of this as we follow along. They had experienced unprecedented economic growth and prosperity, and everybody seemed to be pretty happy in the nation. They, they could shop, they, they could go eat at restaurants, you all follow what I'm saying? They could go to sporting events, they could go to theaters, they could go to church, inside. I mean, life <laughs> was great. We can identify. And then it happened. I'm not even going to get into what it was, but it happened. And now there was suddenly corruption and deception. And instead of the nation prospering, they were hurting and they were in poverty. And so Habakkuk just kind of unleashes to God. And, and here's what I know. Habakkuk is asking the very same question that I believe many people in our current culture are asking of God. God, why don't you do something? God, I know you can do something about this, about this corruption, about this disease, about this virus, about the, about, uh, the, the racial tension. I know that you can do something about all the looting and all the, the vandalism that's taking place. I know you can do something about the political climate. I know you can do something to unify our nation. I know you can heal the nations, but you're not, and I, I don't understand. That's, that's the cry of, of Habakkuk. And so in Habakkuk chapter one, Verse number one, I want you to open your Bibles about, about midway through, a little bit more than midway through the Bible. In, in, in verse number one, he says he received a prophecy. The Hebrew word means he received an utterance. It, it, it means something. It means doom. It means burden. It's not just a prophecy. It's, it's a dooming prophetic word. And it's a burden to Habakkuk. It's, a, it's an utterance. It's a weight. And so he receives this and he's not happy about it. So he goes to God on behalf of the people <laughs> and he asks God a question in Habakkuk chapter one, verse number two. How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Maybe you can identify with this already. Or cry out to you, violence, but you don't save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. In other words, what he's saying to God is, God, why don't you fix it? I mean, there's so much trouble and calamity around me. Why don't you fix it? What I love about Habakkuk is he's just kind of a raw dude. I mean, this guy is so real. And you know what? His name tells the story. His name tells my story. His name actually tells your story, Habakkuk. What does that name mean? The name means two things. It means to embrace and to wrestle. To embrace and to wrestle. Habakkuk is doing everything that he can to embrace who he knows God is. But it, 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 because he doesn't see what God is doing he has to rely upon what he believes. Therefore, he is wrestling with God. There's this tension. He's embracing what he believes and he's wrestling with God because he doesn't understand what's going on. There's a tension in our lives oftentimes where we have to embrace based upon our faith, but we wrestle because we don't understand because we're fully 
human. Let me state a warning. I want you to receive this this morning. This is not a sitcom sermon. Many, many of us grew up watching sitcoms. Perhaps you grew up watching sitcoms. If you're near my age, you probably grew up watching, you know, Brady Bunch or, or Happy Days or, or maybe you're in the era of Friends or The Office or other sitcoms. What, what is a sitcom sermon, Troy? What are, you, what are you talking about? Most sermons, in my opinion, are sitcom sermons. Most sermons are sitcoms. Sitcom sermons, they're not bad theology. I'm not putting down sermons. In fact, most of my sermons are sitcom sermons. It's, very, it's actually a very effective means of communication. So what happens in a sitcom? Well, at the beginning of the sitcom, everybody seems to be happy. Then there's a tension that arises. Then there's some drama that goes with it. Then there's a problem and then there's a challenge. And by the end of the 30-minute sitcom, including uh, commercial breaks, every problem is resolved and the show is over. Most messages are sitcom sermons and there's us and there's tension. There's God's holy word. And then there's a solution. There's us and there's attention and there's God's word, which is the solution. And you learn that and you embrace that and you receive that. And, and then you go have a great lunch together. It, it's, it's a sitcom sermon. This, this is not a sitcom sermon. A sitcom sermon, what, what tends to happen is something like this. Let's say you, you like your job. You really like the job that you have, but you lose your job. You're devastated. So you pray to God. And God gives you a better job. And it's a job this time with benefits. It's a sitcom kind of a sermon. God gives you a blessing. That happens a lot. But this is not a sitcom sermon because life is not always a sitcom. Can I get an amen? In life, everything is not resolved in 30 minutes, including commercial interruptions. In fact, oftentimes, things aren't resolved in 30 days. In fact, if I can be just truthful with you, and some of you know what I'm talking about, sometimes things aren't resolved in 30 years. That, that's, that's real life. In life, sometimes you lose your job, and you don't get a better job. In, in fact, you don't get a job for a long time, <laughs> and you're highly educated, and you finally get a job, but it's way beneath your education level, and you feel like a really big failure. That's, that's life. Sometimes in life, you think you have a good marriage. You think it's pretty solid. You love your spouse, but your spouse betrays you. That happens sometimes in life. And what's even worse is sometimes your spouse doesn't own what it was they did. In fact, they blame you for their sin, for what maybe you didn't do that caused them to sin. And then you're left all alone because they leave you. Sometimes in life, things are going great, really great. And then you get the news. You get the phone call. The doctor says, you're sick. You've got cancer. And so you go to war against the cancer and you pray and you have faith and you fight and you get the chemo treatments and the radiation treatments and, and you beat cancer. And you thank God and you rejoice over that. And then several years later, the, the cancer returns and you don't understand and you're wrestling with God and you're trying to embrace what you know is the truth about God. It's, it's in those real life moments that God doesn't always feel good because you know he could do something, but he doesn't. And you don't understand. And you're asking the question, why? Habakkuk feels just like that right here. And look, look at, let's reread those verses, verses two and three again. 
How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you don't listen? Or cry out to you violence, but you don't save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Then let's go on to verse number four. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. In other words, God, I really don't think that you're doing what's right. I really don't think you're doing what's right. He's got the very same problems with God that some of you have. What are the problems, Troy? Well, he feels like, God, you really don't care. And I know there are some people out there listening that might feel, even today, like God really doesn't care. Like you're allowing all this suffering and all this division and all this uncertainty and all this turmoil. He says to God, you aren't doing much, God, when you could do something. You have the power to do something, but, but you're not doing it. And I don't understand. Or, or another tension that he has is, God, what you're doing, it really doesn't seem to be very fair. And, have you ever felt like that before? Like, like if you were God, you would do things differently than God is doing? Sometimes you, you just want to know, God, are, are you even paying attention? Am I just being too real with you today? Because that's what Habakkuk is experiencing here. And I think it's very relevant, even though we're talking about 2,600 years ago, it's very relevant to what some of us are feeling today. Is it okay to ever question God? Is it okay to push back on God a little bit? Is that unholy? Is that unjust? Is that unfair of us? Well, I think I can answer the question. Did you know that about a third of the Psalms are cries out to God about our pain? Or, or else there's songs in the middle of trials that people just don't understand? Several books, several entire books of the Bible, including Lamentations and Ecclesiastes and Jeremiah and Job, they express confusion of what appears to be unjust suffering for the people of God. Even Jesus, even Jesus on the cross, he was perfect in every way and he becomes sin for us. He had never sinned before and he becomes sin. And whatever God does, God, God pulls away from him or God looks away and Jesus cries out, remember on the cross, why, <laughs> why? I'm your son, I've did everything right. Why are you forsaking me? Jesus asked the question, why would you pull away from me? Is it okay to question God? My answer to you was be, yes, Jesus questioned God. And here's what I want you to understand. God would rather have you question him than walk away from him. He would rather have you question him than walk away from him. Let me explain it to you like this. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that means that at some point you had some version of this story you were hurting or life was good or whatever, but you recognized there has to be more to life. And maybe you go to church and the spirit of God touched you, or maybe it was in a song, or maybe someone prayed for you, or maybe someone witnessed to you at your workplace. But whatever it was, you recognized that you were not doing your life right because you were doing life without God. And you called upon Jesus. And when you call upon the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. And so you experienced the grace of God. 
You experienced the forgiveness of God and his mercy was there and boom, wow, life was amazing for you. I mean, you're on the mountaintop and it seemed like every time you went to church, the preacher was speaking directly at you. I mean, God has this hot wire just wired into everything that you're going through and experiencing. And after church, you went to your car and it seemed like you turned on the radio and bam, your favorite song was playing. And you said, I'm gonna go to the restaurant and it's really, really busy because it's in the mall parking lot back in the days when we could go to restaurants and eat inside. Then you you go to the restaurant and you're like, man, I don't think there's gonna be a parking space. So you pray, God, open up a parking space. And the greatest parking space in the entire lot was there. I'm telling you, life was incredible. God is so good. Thank you, Jesus. You're living on the mountaintop and then life just starts to happen to you. Some things go on that aren't so good in your life and you go to church and the sermon is just meh. (laughs) You ever heard a meh sermon before? Well, it was just kind of you know, man, it wasn't bad, but it probably wasn't for me. It was for somebody else. And you get in the car and you don't like the song that's on the radio and you, you go to the mall and you can't find anywhere to park. And so you pray and not only does it not happen, but the opposite seems to happen to you. And then something really bad happens. Something like your daughter gets sick and she doesn't get better. You, you pray for grandma to get better, but she dies. Your Christian boyfriend cheats on you. You're, you're the person you looked up to and admired does something, does something really inappropriate. Your parents decide to get a divorce. The doctor gives you the news that you never, ever thought you'd hear. Whatever it is, happens to all of us. In life, it kind of goes like this. And at some point, many of us have what Henry Blackaby calls in his book, Experiencing God, a crisis of belief a crisis of belief. In other words, God, if you're so good, then why am I, why am I not here? Because God, if you're so good, I'm stuck over here. I'm trying to make forward progress, I, I, but I'm stuck here. And if you're so good, why am I not here? Why am I not at the point of victory? Instead, I'm stuck at the point of problem. And it's at, it's at this point that people are asking, God, do you even care? Are you even involved in my life? I, I, I don't know. They're questioning God. And many people think we've got two options at this point. The first option is deny that the bad is even happening. We all know a lot of hyper-Christians that, that do that. Oh, life is good. Everything is great. Come on now, God is on the throne. We just deny the bad stuff in our life and this isn't happening to us. And and we say, my relationship is gonna be fine. My finances are gonna be fine. My health is gonna be fine. Everything is gonna be fine. And what we're really doing is we're living in denial of reality. It's not fine. I'm telling you, it's a mess and it's okay to to not be okay. It's okay to, to admit that it's a mess right now. So some people get stuck in what I'm going to call freeze. They just kind of freeze in their stuff and they're not, going to, they're not going to be able to make any forward progress because they're denying they're even in a mess to begin with. Other people get stuck and they say, well, you know what? If, if, if I'm here and I'm not here, if I'm not where I want to be, then I'm, I'm stuck where I don't want to be, then you know what? Um, then, then God's not doing any good. Then God must not be real or God doesn't care about me. So just forget it all. Forget it all. I tried church, I tried God, I tried the Bible, and it didn't work. 
And so they retreat. We're going to call this one uh, flight. So we've got freeze, deny it. We've got flight, just retreat and back away from your relationship with Christ altogether. But there's not just two options. There's, there's three options here. Too many people think there's just two options. Deny it. I mean, that, isn't that faith? No. Faith doesn't deny reality. Faith uh, addresses it head on and believes that God is greater than. But faith doesn't ignore the storm. Faith knows that God will get you through the storm. Uh, faith doesn't, doesn't run away and retreat. Faith says that God is with me. Too many people think there's just two options, but there's a third option. In the middle of the pain, the third option is what we're going to call fight. And what does that mean, Troy? Well, it doesn't mean to fight people. It doesn't mean to be, be angry all the time or hostile. It means to wrestle while you embrace. It means to wrestle with these questions that we have that are just plaguing us. And, and, and make sure that we embrace what we know to be true, what we've experienced by God, what the Holy Spirit reveals to us and what God tells us through his word. I don't get it. I'm confused. I don't understand. Okay, then you embrace what you do understand and you wrestle with what you don't. You fight, you fight on. And when you do this, does life get better, Troy? Oftentimes it does not get better. That's the truth people need to know. This is not a sitcom sermon. Sometimes life gets worse and it gets worse. And when it gets worse, you have to do what James told us, told us in James chapter one, verse number two, three, and four. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith, some of you are there today, develops perseverance and perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. You see, guys, listen, New Life Church, the way to true intimacy with God is not to live your life on the mountaintop, but it's to get to know his faithfulness in the valley. Let me say it again. The way to true intimacy with God is not to live your entire life on the mountaintop. That should not be your goal. The way to true intimacy with God is to get to know his faithfulness in the valleys, in the dark places of our lives. David, David told us in Psalm, familiar Psalm, Psalm 23, verse number four, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. This is my story, guys. This is your story. We all get there at some point. And if you're not there today, rejoice and say, thank you, God. But you'll be there one day. You'll be there one day. And so Habakkuk questions God. God, this doesn't seem to be fair. I don't understand why you're not doing this. I don't understand why you're doing that instead of what I perceive to be the right solution to the problem. And guess what God does? Guess what God does in the story of Habakkuk? God responds to Habakkuk. And this is where it gets exciting. Are you ready for God's response? I hope you are because this is, this is going to blow you away. This is what God says in Habakkuk chapter one, verse number five. Oh, I love this. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed for I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. Oh boy. Finally, God, you're going to do what's right. 
Finally, God, you're going to relieve the pain. Finally, God, you're going to heal the body. Finally, God, you're going to, we're going to be blessed. Finally, God, we're going to be prosperous. Finally, God, you're going to do something that we wouldn't believe even if you told us. We're going to be utterly amazed, God. That's, that's pretty exciting news, don't you think? Everybody say yes. And you can certainly imagine the rest of the story. We could stop right there. And we could just sit back and smile and cheer, go God. Be excited, refreshed, energized. If this was a sitcom sermon. But this is not a sitcom sermon. Because in the very next verse, God goes on. Verse number six. I am raising up the Babylonians. Are you, are you, what? I am raising up the Babylonians. I'll, I'll explain it. That ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwelling places, not their own. Now, they, we gotta, if you don't know who the Babylonians are, they're the bad guys. Like these are the evil ones of the day. Um, these, are the, these are the ones who are persecuting and, and killing, killing followers of, of God. Uh, they're the bad guys. They're the enemies. And God says, you think it's bad now? <laughs> Let me just tell you, Habakkuk, it's about to get a whole lot worse. What I'm going to do is I'm going I'm to use your enemies to bring justice because of your sin. And this makes absolutely no sense to Habakkuk. You think he was upset before? <laughs> now he's really upset. Hey, you know what? Let me hit the pause button for just a second and make this more relevant to us today. I want to read to you Habakkuk chapter one, verse number six from the TV, uh, Troy's version. <laughs> so I'm going to change some words, but here we go. How about this? I am raising up COVID-19, that ruthless and wicked disease to sweep across the whole earth, to seize dwelling places, not their own. Hmm. If you haven't been infected, by the coronavirus yet, it's, it's very, very ugly. If you have, you probably understand it's, it's, it's pretty awful. But no matter what, we've all been affected by COVID-19. We've all shouted questions up to God over the last six months of our lives out of fear, out of frustration, out of anxiety, out of stress, maybe out of pain. I mean, what's this done to us? It's wrecked our plans. I mean, weddings had to be postponed or people couldn't attend weddings of people that they love. Or uh, um, funerals, we still haven't had celebration of life gatherings and funerals for many people who have passed on, maybe not even of COVID-19, but we'd like to celebrate their life and give them the honor that they're due and to help their families get through the grief process. Reunions, families want to get together, vacations that have been planned and paid for for a long time, people couldn't go on. I mean, we're talking church. You can go to church. You can't go to church. You, there's, you, relationships. Relationships have been impacted so negatively through this crisis. Jobs have changed, haven't they? I mean, we talked about this at our, at our business meeting we had the other night, but, but we know that still 50% of people are working from home six months later. Some, some people aren't working at all. And, I mean, coworkers, I understand from some people who work in some of the, the factories around us here at the church have told me, you know, their coworkers haven't showed up since COVID-19 began. Their job is secure and being held for them when they come back, but because they're, they're concerned about getting infected, they're not coming back to work. What does that mean? It means for the existing workers, they're having to work twice as hard and a lot of overtime that might be good for the paycheck is terrible for the family. 
I mean, am I an essential worker? Am I not essential? I mean, there's all these questions. How about, how about school? Some of you are going through that. It's crazy now. I had the chance to go with one of our teachers this week and go into her classroom and pray over her classroom. Still hasn't had any kids in it yet because everything is being done virtually. Uh, and that's just a whole mess. And I compliment the in ingenuity of our school districts in trying to make this happen, but it's just a mess. You can't keep the kids focused. You can't keep the kids' attention. A lot of times the parents are frustrated equally. They can't, it's, it's a mess. Parents say, I want my kids safe, but I also want my kids smart, you know? I want my kid emotionally stable. I need to go to work. How am I supposed to go to work when my second grader is at home? Teachers are stressed, and rightly so. Family dynamics, man, they have been redefined over the last six months. What do you do when you find yourself in this scenario? What, what does a committed believer do? I've been grappling with this myself. I mean, what am I supposed to say as a spiritual leader, as an under-shepherd, as you, your pastor, as your leader? What, what are you supposed to do? Here's what I found. A committed believer can both wrestle with honest questions and embrace genuine faith in God. It's okay to have those honest questions. You wrestle, you grapple with those questions, but you also embrace your genuine faith with God. You know what? The truth is you can do both. One doesn't make you less spiritual than the other. And I want you to watch. This is what Habakkuk does. You're like, Troy, show me. I'll show you right now. This is, what he does is he tries to embrace, and yet he doesn't understand. And because he does not understand, he he wrestles. Let's see this. Habakkuk chapter 1. Let's just look at two verses. 12 and 13. Verse number 12. O Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, we will not die. I think he's embracing right there, don't you think? He's embracing his faith. But then he says, O Lord, you have appointed them to execute judgment. Um, I think now he's wrestling a little bit. And then he says, oh, rock. I think he's embracing God there because he knows that God is stable. God is his rock. But then he says, you have ordained them to punish. So he's wrestling once again. Verse number 13, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. So he's embracing God. He knows this is the God that he serves. Then he says, why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? He's He's wrestling. I'm trying to embrace, and yet I'm wrestling. And I think that we're there. We're trying to embrace, and yet we're wrestling. Listen to me. If you are there right now, what I want you to know is this. God understands your pain. God understands your pain. And he welcomes your questions. Because I am convinced, as sure as I'm alive today, I am convinced that God would rather have you yell at him than walk away from him. He would rather have you yell at him than walk away from him. Because when you hit that wall, when you're in that crisis of belief in your life, don't deny your doubts. Some people would say, well, I'm, I'm making negative confessions. Now listen, what you're doing is you're, you're having dialogue with God. Will Satan try to use that? Yes, he'll try to use anything against you. But you're being honest about your situation because you're embracing your faith while you're wrestling with your situation and your scenario. Don't run from God. Whatever you do, don't turn your back on God. Let your doubts drive you to continue to embrace even while you're wrestling with God. I got a few questions I'm gonna put up for you that I want you to consider today. And you might wanna like rewind this when it's over and jot them down. 
but I'd like you to think about these questions. This would be your homework assignment for today. What if honestly acknowledging your doubts is your first step toward building a deeper faith? What if, what if that was true? Question number two. What if embracing your secret questions opens the door for maturing knowledge of God's character? It's a great question. Question number three. It's a little tougher. What if drawing closer to God requires you to bear something that feels unbearable? That's a hard one. But the fourth question, this is the toughest one. What if what if it takes real pain to experience a deep and abiding hope? <sighs> deep questions. I want you to consider those. I want you to really think about those. So, you ready for a good ending to the sermon? <laughs> sure you are. Well, um, there's not one. There's, there's not one today. Why? Because this is not a sitcom sermon. In Habakkuk, in chapter one, it's, it's, it's really, 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 it's really hard. It's really, really difficult. Many of you are living in chapter one today. And I acknowledge that. I affirm that. I'm, we empathize with you. You're in chapter one. You're, don't walk away from God in chapter one. Please don't do that. Unfortunately, though, I'm gonna tell you, chapter two, it gets even harder. And that might be the reality for your life. It may get harder. It, it, it might. But always remember, there are three chapters to the story. I, Jonah spent three nights in the belly of the whale. And Jesus spent three days in a borrowed tomb. There are three chapters to the story. It's, it's not over yet. Let's pray. Father, I pray for those today who find themselves in chapter one. Oh God, I pray that they'd have the courage and feel the permission to wrestle while they try to embrace. Would you just keep your eyes closed for a moment? You know, I've got a heavy heart for those of you that have questions and you don't understand, who are wondering and you're, and you're hurting those of you that say, you know, Troy, that's where I'm at. I'm wondering and I'm hurting. I, I've got questions that I don't understand. Would you pray for me? If that's you, would you? I just want you to put in the comments right now. Pray for me. Just pray for me. Be bold. Come on. Pray for me. I'm going to pray right now. God, I, I thank you that you've given us the book, the Bible, the Word of God. And it gives us permission to sometimes tell you that we don't like it to tell you that we don't understand, that we don't even agree, but God, somehow help us cling to your character, your nature, to believe that you are good even when life is not. And God, I pray for someone who feels like they've tried it, they tried you and they, they wanna walk away. And God, I pray that they wouldn't walk away because God, please help them to not let their doubts drive them away from you. But God, enable us to allow our doubts to drive us toward you. Give us the faith Give us the courage not to pretend to be real, but to be raw. Even while we're wrestling, God, help us to continue to embrace. And as you keep praying, as you keep praying this morning, there's some of you right now, I believe, that are hurting very deeply and you're in a very low spot. 
And, I, and I'm, I'm not going to tell you that God caused that because I don't, I don't think he did. But I will tell you that God, is, God will use it. And sometimes God will even allow it. Why? Why does he do that? Because it teaches us to call on him. And some of you feel just so guilty and so alone and so dirty and so vulnerable and you feel so bad because you tried really, really hard to be, to be good, but it's just not working. Why is it not working? Because you can never be good enough on your own. That's why God is so good, because he loved us enough that he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, who was perfect in every single way. He was without sin. He died in our place on the cross. Why? So that we could be forgiven. He was raised from the dead so that anyone, and this includes you, anyone, it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter what you've done, it doesn't matter what you thought, it doesn't matter how much you hurt or how much you've hurt somebody else or how life, how bad your life has been, anyone who calls upon the name of Jesus Christ would be saved, would be forgiven, not just saved from your sins, but saved to a life that matters. Some of you, and you know it, and you sense it, and you're here not by accident watching this broadcast today, you're here because God brought you here for this very moment and you need Jesus and you need his grace and you need his love and you need his forgiveness and you need his salvation. And those of you that would say, Troy, that is me. I turn from my sin and I turn toward him. I give him my life today. I want you to lift your hand right in your living room, right in your kitchen, right in your bedroom, wherever you're at today. Just lift your hand to God and say, God, I need you today. I receive you today. Come into my life today, fresh and anew. Oh, Father, save me from my wretched self. Help me, God, to overcome. Help me to live a life that is pleasing to you in every single way. Just pray, God, I confess that Jesus Christ is my Lord and my Savior, and I receive you wholly and fully into me, and I commit my life to you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, somebody say amen and amen and amen. Hallelujah, hallelujah. The story is not fully done yet. We're not finished yet. It might seem dark. It might feel cloudy. You might feel discouraged. You might feel depressed and downcast. But I'm telling you, greater is he who is in you than he who is in this old world. You will be victorious. God is teaching you something. He is with you and it's okay to wrestle while you embrace. I think we should take just a moment and worship God at the end of this gathering. So I'm gonna bless you before we go. And after I bless you, I want you to slip your hands up to heaven and worship God with uninhibited in any way. Praise God from the innermost parts of your being. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. May he lift up his countenance upon you. May he give you rest and may he give you peace. Let's worship God, New Life Church.